0: Our first reading this morning is to be found in the Old Testament, in the book of Esther, in chapter 4, which can be found on page 504, 504. Started to read from verse 6. attack went out to Mordecai in the open square of the city in front of the king's gate. Mordecai told him everything that had happened to him including the exact amount of money Haman had promised to pay into the royal treasury for the destruction of the Jews. He also gave him a copy of the text of the edict for their annihilation which had been published in Susa to show to Esther and explain it to her. And he told him to instruct her to go into the king's presence to beg for mercy and plead with him for her people. Gatak went back and reported to Esther what Mordecai had said. Then she instructed him to say to Mordecai, all the king's officials and the people of the royal provinces know that for any man or woman who approaches the king in the inner court without being summoned, the king has but one law, that they be put to death, unless the king extends the gold scepter to them and spares their lives. But 30 days have passed since I was called to go to the king." When Esther's words were reported to Mordecai, he sent back this answer. Do not think that because you're in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, Relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place, but you and your father's family will perish. And who knows but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. Then Esther said, this reply to Mordecai, Go, gather together all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my attendants will fast as you do. When this is done, I will go to the king, even though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. So Mordecai went away and carried out all of Esther's instructions.
1: The second reading is to be found in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 6, beginning at verse 16, and you can find this on page 970 in your church Bible. When you fast, do not look sombre, as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show men they are fasting. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face, so that it will not be obvious to men that you are fasting, but only to your Father, who is unseen. And your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. This is the word of the Lord.
2: Thank you both. After you, Mary. Shall we pray? Sovereign God and gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word to us this morning, and we pray that as we study it, we may hear you, and by your Spirit you might teach us to examine our hearts, to know ourselves, and to know you, our true and loving Heavenly Father. Teach us, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Bear Grills, the Christian adventurer, has taken 13 men to an island in the Pacific and left them there. Why? In order to see if modern man still possesses the instincts and skills to survive, without the trimmings and trappings of modern life. It's an experiment. And One of the key goals at the beginning was to find water. We cannot live without water, they discovered. And also to find food. There are no local shops to pop out to, there's no Sainsbury's to you in that part of the world, and believe it or not, there is not even a Waitrose on the island. Missed marketing opportunity there. Over a period of time, the men get hungry. But they get really hungry. It goes beyond the gnawing pains. It becomes a hunger that is a deep emptiness that actually just cries out within them to be filled somehow. Many express that it felt as if life were beginning to ebb away from them. They had a real need. And many of them, became aware of this need for the first time ever in their lives. This, of course, has been chosen by them, and probably they will be paid for going through this adventure. For many in the world, this is a daily struggle, not knowing where their next meal is going to come from. And even in the UK, the the Food Help Bank uh, sent out... 913,138 people were given three days emergency food. That's just the end of last year and this year's figures. So as we consider our topic this morning about hearing God through fasting, we must be mindful of those who are really hungry. But the Bible encourages us to hunger and thirst after righteousness, To hunger and thirst, Martin Lloyd-Jones says, is to have a consciousness of our need, our deep need, even to the point of pain. It means something that keeps on until it is satisfied. Spiritual hunger is something deep and profound that goes on until it's satisfied. It is something that goes on increasing and makes one feel desperate. And the psalmist has summed it up for us perfectly. As the deer pants for the water, so my soul longs after you, my God. My soul thirsts for you, the living God. To hunger and thirst really means to be desperate, to be starving, like those men on that island in the Pacific, to feel as if life is ebbing away. And in that kind of place, you discover your urgent and real need of help. And when we know our need, when we know this hunger and starvation, this death that is within us, Martin Lloyd says, then God will come. He promises to come and fill us. But there may not be many in Bath who find themselves stranded on a desert island. We may spend time in prayer and fasting in order to know more deeply our utter need of God, who alone is the one who can feed our soul. But what is spiritual fasting about? And how do we learn to hear God? How do we learn to hear ourselves through this discipline of fasting? And throughout Scripture, fasting refers to abstaining from food for spiritual purposes. Not for dieting, not for other things, but for spiritual purposes. And there are different kinds of fasts described in the Bible. There is an absolute fast. This is when you abstain from both food and water. Ezra did this in Ezra 10, verse 6. The king of Nineveh himself, once Jonah had been, ordered people to abstain from both food and water. Jonah 3, verse 7. Saul, when he arrived in Damascus, neither ate nor drank for three days. Acts 9, verse 9. Moses fasted for two periods of 40 days while neither eating nor drinking while he was in the presence of God. Deuteronomy 9. And of course in Esther today, 4, verse 15. There is no food or water to be drunk or eaten for three days and or three nights. That's an absolute fast. Then there is normal fast. A normal fast is when all food is fasted, both solid and liquid, but not water. And when Jesus fasted 40 days and nights, he ate nothing and was then hungry, Luke 4 verse 2 tells us. There's no mention of Jesus not drinking, so it seems he drank. Abstaining only from food took place in the Old Testament too, with Hannah refusing to eat because she was childless, and David refusing to eat while he mourned the death of Abner. And then there, of course, is the partial fast. The main example of this kind of fast is found in Daniel, Daniel 1, verses 8 to 16. And a partial fasting is abstaining from certain kinds of foods, restricting the diet, rather than completely abstaining from all foods. And Daniel and his three companions refused to eat rich food and wine, which the king of Babylon provided for them. Instead, they only ate vegetables and drank water. And in most cases in the Bible, it seems that fasting is a private matter. But also, as we read in Esther, it was for a whole community. And it seems there are some kind of corporate, public fasts that actually become a wonderful experience that people share together. But why do this? Why would you not eat? Not in a sort of hunger strike way, But actually, why would you choose to fast? And I think this is the most important question, really, as to what is the most important thing when fasting is why you're doing it. What is the motive behind it? Because God will call us and inspire us to fast, we discover from the Bible. And if he is doing this, then we have to hear that and we have to take it seriously as part of people who choose to follow Christ. It's sobering to realize that the very first statement Jesus made about fasting dealt with the question of motive in Matthew, Matthew 6, verse 16, that Mary read. And to use good things to our own ends, to use a good thing to our own end, is a sign of a false religion. And how easy it is to take something like fasting and try to use it to get God to do what we want. And fasting must forever center on God, not on the physical benefits, not on whether we've got success in prayer or spiritual insights that come from it. These must never replace God as the center of our fasting. And John Wesley writes, first, let it, fasting, be done unto the Lord with our eye singly fixed upon Jesus Let our intention herein be this and this alone, to glorify our Father which is in heaven. That is the only way we'll be saved from loving the blessing more than the blesser. And once the primary purpose of fasting is firmly fixed in our hearts, we're free then to understand that there are also secondary reasons for fasting. More than any other discipline, fasting reveals the things that control us, And this is where we begin to listen not only to God, but to ourselves. This is a wonderful benefit to us as disciples. As John Stott reminded us at the beginning, who want to be transformed into the very image of Christ. And therefore, it is about surrender, it's about surrendering our control to God. Because if pride controls us, it will almost immediately be revealed. And David said, I humbled my soul with fasting. And so often we feel content because we have food in our stomachs. And in feeling satisfied and full, we are less likely to realize our need of God. And many of us here today know that we need God in our lives much more than actually we need a good meal. But by fasting food and hungering after God, we are, refer- are in ourselves this need that we have to acknowledge God and that he is at the center of our lives. And without him, without him, we would starve and die. And this in turn causes us to be humbled, recognizing how self-sufficient we can be, the way we can take food for granted by abstaining from it We humble ourselves and we acknowledge before him that we need him more than we need what he gives. For all things come from you, O Lord, and of your own do we give you. And when food is stripped away, we expose what we cover up. There's that great advert for Snickers where Joan Collins is in it in the changing rooms and she's a diva and uh, they they're talking to her, as it were, but actually, it's a man who hasn't eaten anything, and he gets really crotchety when he's not eaten. And they say, well, you've got to eat something, have this Snickers bar, because you turn into a right diva when you've not eaten. And when our blood sugar levels go low, sometimes we really discover what's actually underneath us. We can have a very short fuse. We can actually become realizing the things in us, such as anger and bitterness and jealousy, all these things can bubble up within us and they will surface during a fasting and it's aware we're actually listening to what's going on in us that God actually in his grace wants us to be aware of that he by his grace and power can redeem. Fasting is also a physical reminder that we are sustained by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Food does not sustain us God is the one who gives us the very breath you've just taken. Therefore, in experiences of fasting, we're not so much abstaining from food as we are feasting on the word of God. And for some reason I cannot explain, but have only experienced at key points in my life, like when coming here, when I have fasted and prayed over decisions for myself, when I fasted for other people, is that prayer combined with fasting, seems even more powerful than prayer alone for some reason. And I can't explain that. Prayer, I know, is often warfare. We are often in a spiritual battle, and fasting can make us more effective in that battle. And by fasting, we can express how serious we are. We can express our hope and desire for God to move and answer our prayers. In 1756, King George II called for a day of solemn prayer and fasting because of the threatened invasion of the French. And John Wesley again records in his journal of February the 6th, The fast day was a glorious day, such as London has scarce seen since the Restoration. Every church in the city was more than full, and a solemn seriousness sat upon everyone's face. It's a lovely thought, isn't it? A bit like now. Surely God heareth prayer. And there will yet be a lengthening of our tranquility. How beautifully they spoke. A lengthening of our tranquility. We all pray for things which we believe to be in God's will. And yet often we don't sometimes seem to see these prayers answered. The Bible tells us to seek God. To seek God with all our heart. And that in doing so, we will find Him. We will find God when we seek Him. And yet the world has a saying, the way to a man's heart is through his stomach. And the importance attached to food today with all our cooking programs, with all our different chefs who we worship and adore and wonder what their next recipe is going to be, we satisfy appetites in different ways. And by fasting from food on occasion, we can better seek God with all our heart. And in that seeking, even through a fast, He will wonderfully meet us. So if you are new to this, and you want to hear God through this particular way, I would suggest that you start by fasting a lunch, or perhaps a breakfast rather than a whole day. Fresh fruit juices are excellent, during a fast, and once this has been done a few times you may begin to discern what God is calling you to fast about, what it is on his heart that he wants on your heart, for you or for someone else, for remembering we're listening to ourselves as well as listening to the world that we are in, in praying for them. You may just begin to discern what God is calling you to fast about. And for those who drink a lot of coffee, it may be wise to cut down first. Withdrawal symptoms can be very unhelpful for those around you. And then it may be that you lead yourself to a full day fast and you spend it with God and you seek Him and you will find Him. It may just be a partial fast. I have a great weakness when I go to garages. It's terrible, isn't it? There's been a report on it even, actually, now with children and sweets at counters in Tesco's. They've banned it, I think. But as you go to pay, you are stood next to a whole parade of Cadbury. Cadbury is before you. And you just think, oh, I'm paying, you know, 25 pounds for my petrol. It won't matter, 60p. And generally, I find I pick up a chocolate bar, and it's there. And then Anne discovers the wrapper in the door where I've left it. (laughs) And sometimes not just one wrapper. Mercifully, I don't get petrol a lot, as I don't have a lot of driving to do. But it may be something that you want to partially cut out. Just as an inner prompt to you. It may be chocolate, it may be Marmite. I pray for you if it is. And eat a more simple diet, like Daniel did, where he was offered the finest foods but went for God first to feast upon him. It could also be that for medical reasons, you should not fast. Perhaps you're diabetic, perhaps you're an expectant mother, perhaps you're a heart patient, or many other things doctors would advise you, I'm sure. But submitting to God and seeking him with all your heart can be expressed by fasting from something other than food, perhaps. From television, from alcohol, from the internet, But as I close on this subject, we're wanting to, through this series, hear from God and what God is saying. And I want to return to Matthew 6 because before verse 16 come verses 5 to 15 where Jesus is teaching us something startlingly new about the very nature of God. There seems to be no record before this moment where Jews would pray to God using the word Father. Peter used it this morning. Les beautifully uses it when he prays. This word Father that we take for granted began here in Matthew 6, where Jesus teaches his disciples to pray Father. I know for some this word is hard because the model of Father they've had in their earthly father has been a very poor example. And that is painful. But, Jesus invites disciples to share in his sonship with the Father. And John tells us that all that is given to Jesus by right is given to us by the Holy Spirit. We are sons and daughters of God who is Father. I know someone who has not spoken to their father for years, literally years. It is terrible not to be on speaking terms with anyone, but not to be on speaking terms with your father. That's how it was with us. But Jesus came to break that, to break in on our relationship with God that we may call him Father, as he did. And he draws us to the kind of relationship that he himself has with his Father. And so the key in this passage is Jesus is wanting us to know the nature of God is as a good Father who knows and who loves his children. He is not a God we are fasting for who needs to be cajoled, Who needs to be persuaded into action, or a God who isn't interested in you, or a God who cannot act, who does not listen to you. If this is the nature of the God we follow, then of course, we will need a formula to chalk up sufficient brownie points, as it were, to persuade him to do what we know to be best. And the point of this teaching, Jesus is making clear is that we can be in immense danger. And Jesus teaches us how not to fast and how not to pray. I've heard it said that if we pray all night or fast, that's the only way that God will bless our projects. Or even worse, God must bless our projects because we have prayed and fasted all night. Of course we can pray, we can fast and we can do it through the night, but we must be careful what Jesus says in verse 8, don't be like them. Why? Why are we not to be like people who babble, like the pagans, go after all sorts of things? Because prayer and fasting isn't about coming to a heartless and thoughtless God and setting to work simply to persuade him. If that's your God today, it's not the true one. The God who has, put, has to be put into a spiritual half, Nelson, as it were, is not the God who is your father, who knows before you ask him. Don't be like them, Jesus says in verse 8. There is a massive emphasis in this passage of God being our father, Verse one, your father. Verse four, your father. Verse six, twice described as father. Verse eight, your father. Verse nine, our father. Verse fourteen, your father. Verse 15, your father. Twice in verse 18. Ten times in eighteen. verses. It may be that Jesus is trying to tell us something. And it's simply asking as we have this series on hearing God do we hear this? Do we hear Jesus saying God is your father. So be careful about how you and I go about fasting. Because all the way through the sermon he's talking not to those who don't believe but to those who are religious And he subtly asks a very searching question. What is your religion? In truth and in heart. Remembering that the passage ends with a picture of two houses. One built on a rock. One built upon sand. And as we learn to hear God through fasting, let's hear the God who is our Father. For fasting will take us deeper into fellowship with God, allowing us to walk with Him in the light, in the truth of who He is, and thereby who we are as His children. And in the end, we surrender. We surrender even our food in the desire we have to grow into the image of Christ. And I encourage us all to look at Him, to look at Christ. Look at his portrait, as portrayed in the gospel. Look at him when he was on earth. Look at how he prayed. Look at how he fasted. And look and see what came out of him. His kindness, his compassion, his sensitivity. Do you hunger and thirst to walk in the paths of righteousness? Do you hunger and thirst to walk in the paths that Christ has laid out before us? Then fasting can help us. Do we have that deep hunger to hear God in our lives? Can we say like the psalmist, as the deer pants for the water, so my soul longs, aches, yearns for you, as we might for a Big Mac, a really nice roast beef dinner, a fresh croissant in the morning. We don't need to go to an island in the Pacific, though it would be lovely, to reconnect ourselves with the truth of who we are and connect ourselves with the truth again that God is our Father and no good thing does he withhold from those who walk his way who want to really follow him. Are we prepared to trust that? Are we prepared to lean on it, even when we are weak, even when we feel life is ebbing away? Are we prepared to fast, to go without, to realize our our need, to feel this hunger, this desire that God has given us, that only he can meet, In hearing this desire within us to be holy, even as God is holy, we will then hear the voice of God and follow Him. Let's be quiet a moment. And be aware of the question, are we serious about hearing God? Are we serious enough to fast that we may come into the presence of our sovereign, gracious Father? and long to be filled with his words. As we come to this table of broken bread and poured out wine, let's bring our confession to God of how much we have followed the devices and desires of our own hearts. And let us return to God as we say together, Almighty and most merciful Father, we have wandered and strayed from your ways like lost sheep. We have followed too much the devices and desires of our own hearts. We have offended against your holy laws. We have left undone those things that we ought to have done, and we've done those things that we ought not to have done, and there is no health in us. But you, O Lord, have mercy upon us sinners. Spare those who confess their faults. Restore those who are penitent according to your promises declared to mankind in Christ Jesus our Lord. And grant, O most merciful Father, for his sake, that we may live a disciplined, righteous, and godly life to the glory of your holy name. Amen. Amen.
1: Amen.